Hey, did you forget me? Man, children, it's good to see you. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. I I actually love New Year's um, as an event, as a ritual that we sort of use to mark the passage of time, right? New Year's feels um, actually sort of meaningful to me in a way that something like my birthday no longer does, right? Like birthdays for me, for me feel quite dreadful, um, to be honest. But New Year, the New Year is filled with this like, oh, it's, there's possibility, there's, there's mystery as to what this year's gonna be like. And I really, uh, I really like that. So I wanna begin just by wishing each of you um, a happy New Year, and I hope that all, your, all of your years are filled with uh, joy, some grace, some unexpected things. With what? War? Yeah, we'll get to that. So actually, so now unfortunately, uh, two days into 2020, um, the good vibes have already sort of dissipated, gone up in smoke, you might say, and uh, many of us are experiencing this sort of deja vu, right, where um, our government is once again demonstrating how deeply violence and war are just sewn into the very fabric of this country, right, and truly, um, terrible way to start the year, but we're going to come back to that idea in a minute. So as the calendar turns, also the Christian liturgical calendar, which is just this order of things like Easter to 
Advent, Christmas. We are now here after Christmas in the Feast of Epiphany. Uh, what the hell is the Feast of Epiphany? How do we, well, the, so back in the day, when the nascent early church was beginning, um, the Feast of the Epiphany was supposed to mark this time in which people recognized uh, God giving a gift to us, the revelation of his incarnation, right? And so uh, it turns out, you know, these days we often use this uh, three wise men or magi text, but the original church used the text of the baptism of Jesus and the one in which uh, he goes to a wedding and uh, keeps the party going by turning water into wine, right? So these two uh, texts were like kind of the source of the uh, Epiphany Feast. And the reason for that is because, in essence, again, these are texts that talk about Jesus, uh, this person showing up to be the Messiah. Oh, this person is special through this baptism. This person is special. They can turn water into wine. So times have changed. And like I mentioned, uh, classically now, everyone uses this three wise men text to talk about Epiphany season. And with that, the common understanding of the Epiphany, uh, Feast of Epiphany, is now the, uh, celebrating the idea that the Messiah was for all people, not just Jews. Right? As the foreigners we hear about from the mysterious East, they are decidedly Gentiles who still are able to receive the gift of uh, a newborn Messiah. And that might seem a bit boring to all of us who are not uh, deeply embroiled and entrenched in sectarian religious wars, but I do think uh, we should remember, number one, that it was a huge deal back in those days, right? Big deal. And uh, a lot of the New Testament is actually about these debates about who's allowed in, who's not, and why and how. But as we consider the story today again, I urge us also to reconsider, again, what a big deal this idea that everyone is invited is actually to us, even now in 2020. Right, the question of who deserves to have peace and love and hope and joy uh, has never been settled in this world. It hasn't been settled in history. It is certainly not settled today. I think the moment that uh, people start to think that, oh, we've, we've, we've become enlightened, we've reached this, uh, this higher state of being, we have evolved eyes now that uh, see everybody as equal and having worth, like that it's a dangerous moment. To me, there's an arrogance there that blinds us, that makes us blind actually when injustice happens and dehumanizing of others happens, right? Makes us blind to the ways that uh, the people in power often sow disunity and discord among us. We need an epiphany, the same sort they had thousands of years ago. We need that as much today. Today, I, I personally can't help but read this story in light of the news out of Iraq and Iran and the actions of our and statements of our government officials. And as much as the Bible can seem painfully outdated uh, to a lot of us out of touch, there's this amazing and somewhat tragic element of, of it being timeless as well. And uh, you might say that God's epiphanic message is sort of always the same. It doesn't really change. It's merely the circumstances around us that actually change. And as I read this story, it affirms, you know, this deep truth, right, that I don't often hold very closely in my head, but I want to feel it deep in my bones, right, that everyone is worthy of being called a child of God, where everyone is invited to 
come and see this thing and partake in the redemption of this world? Right? This story also reminds me and tells me that those in power so often wish to obscure epiphanies, right? To hide them from us uh, through deceit and through violence. And this sort of power that I'm talking about, again, as I mentioned earlier, is uh, inescapable, an inescapable part of our country's history. And I would venture to guess that many of us came to some sort of epiphany of our own some 16 years ago, right, in the time of President Bush. I've shared my uh, testimony about this a number of times, so I won't make it long. Very briefly, during the invasion of Iraq in 2003, I came to uh, denounce my religion and religious leaders, right, denounce strongly, right, in the wake of one too many um, proclamations that God had sanctioned this war or that God had sanctioned the leaders who lied to us about this war, uh, that these people were doing God's will. Right? And that sort of God, to me, I can no longer believe in. Whatever the ethical and political arguments there might be for dropping bombs and sending soldiers off to war, the truth we know somewhere is that the cost of these decisions are never paid by those who make them, right? Such consequences fall on those outside the palace gates by families huddled in homes, by foreigners who don't really feel real to us halfway across the world, by vulnerable people who don't have a say. And it should really, I think, uh, bring us to our knees if we think about the price that is paid by these people. Right? The cost is not just for our side, quote-unquote. But really the cost is borne by everybody who bears the image of God, who has the divine spark in them, which is everybody, right? In Iraq, uh, since 2003, the death toll is staggering. We don't know exactly what the numbers are. The, the government, U.S. government, refuses to acknowledge any specific death count. Uh, many people have tried to guess this number, but the range is somewhere between 200,000 and 2 million people. Over this last week, I definitely got sucked into the uh, political games that were going on regarding um, what happened. And, you know, uh, who did what? And was it warranted? Is it going to help or hurt Trump's reelection? All this stuff, right? I'm a political junkie. I, I consume this, this sort of thing a lot. But I finally came across something that completely shifted my perspective on what was happening, right? An epiphany in the form of one writer reminding me that, again, this is not a game. And the people who will suffer are the countless many in the Middle East who will pay the price for any escalation, particularly war. I'm reminded today in this story of the Magi that uh, this is a God that does not have borders. The seen, the unseen, the far and near, all these people are our siblings. They are not collateral damage. They are children of God. And an epiphany that's worth anything, worth a damn, does not live in the abstract. Right? As the Magi, they took a different road home. We, too, must not arrive the same way we came. Right? In the face of those who choose violence and war, we must recognize that the death of our neighbor is as concrete as concrete can be. 
going to leave you with this. There's a well-known uh, Trappist monk, Thomas Merton. Many of you might have heard of this person. Merton spent most of his time in isolation and from the common world in meditation and prayer. But one day, on a very ordinary day, he was running some errands. Something burst forth through the veneer. Right? Something epiphanic, something revelatory happened to him. He described it this way. This is a famous passage. Many of you probably heard it. In Louisville, at the corner of 4th and Walnut, in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I love those people, that they were mine and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, of spurious self-isolation in a special world, the world of renunciation and supposed holiness. The sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief and such a joy to me that I almost laughed out loud. I have the immense joy of being a member of a race in which God became incarnate. As if the sorrows and stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me, now I realize what we all are. And if only everybody could realize this, but it cannot be explained, there's no way of telling people that they are walking around shining like the sun. If only everybody could realize this, Merton says, right? If only everybody could realize it. And maybe he's right that it cannot be explained so easily. But I would say that it certainly can be proclaimed by us. Right? This year, in a moment of heightened anxiety under the rule of a paranoid and self-centered man, may we collectively make this proclamation loud and clear. Amen.